join me in prayer. This is God's word. Dear God, in the cross alone is our salvation. It is the cross that we ever adore. It is the cross of our Lord that is with us. And it's the cross alone that is our refuge. God, give us ears to hear your word now as what you did for us at the cross makes our life possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we turn to understand the scripture this morning, I hope that um, you know that the Bible says that every word of God um, is profitable for rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness, that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it is inspired or God-breathed. So when we open scripture, we don't read the opinions of man or the wisdom of intelligent and enlightened people. We get God's revelation, direct revelation of who he is and what his will is for our life directly to us through his word. Martin Luther, as many of you might know, was the father of the Protestant Reformation. He began a Reformation um, for the purpose of that he became... He came to believe that salvation, being right with God, was not bought or earned. Um, We don't erase our past by being good or reforming ourselves. He believed that salvation, becoming right with God, our deepest deepest need, was was a gracious gift given to us by grace through faith. But before Luther came to know this, uh, something remarkable happened to him in his life that I don't know that that many people know. He was basically following his father's path to become a lawyer, as many of us do as young people. We desire to please our parents. Well, maybe some of us do. But he was, in particular, was following a path that that his father set set forth for him to become a lawyer. But one day, he was walking walking along a path, and he was nearly killed. He was almost struck by lightning. Um, And this scared Martin Luther to death. And consequently, he vowed to God to dedicate himself to the monastic life. He cried out in this moment, help me, St. Anne. He screamed, help me. And he said, I'll become a monk. Just let me live. So what he, and he made good on that promise. He plunged into a life of prayer. He became a monk. He plunged into a life of fasting, of ascetic practices, he went without sleep for days at a time. He endured bone-chilling um, bone cold without a blanket. He would whip himself nearly to the point of death. Luther sought by these means, what he was trying to do was to remove the guilt of sin that he felt he carried and provoke himself to earn the favor of God but also to increase his, his own personal love for God but he never found any consolation. And we can kind of cluck our modern tongues at Luther for this, what seems archaic and disgusting behavior, but so often we do the same things to ourselves. We carry the same burden. We think that if we work hard enough, if we run hard enough, then we'll prove ourselves. If not to God, then to us or to someone else. Finally, Luther writes in his journal, he says, at last... Meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God through which I will live is a gift of God by faith. 
Here I felt, he writes, as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. He had been born again, a religious man far from God, not understanding at all who God was or his nature or character. Now, Luther wasn't wrong for fasting, but his purpose, his motivation behind his prayers and behind his Bible reading and behind his fellowship, behind his fasting, these things were wrong. So this morning, as I speak, I mentioned this last week, it seems as if the whole world is on fire, that something happens to us globally that no one is unaffected by. Countless people have lost their jobs, um, their health, and, and many, many people have lost their lives, and um, it's not looking like that will change in the near future. So friends, now is the time for God's people to pray and to fast. Might I suggest to you, it's always been the time for God's people to pray and fast, but if we're ever to actually understand the intensity of the moment, if we're ever going to be aroused from our sleep, if not now, then when? When will we wake up to the fact that God has saved us for the purpose of being light to a lost world that needs the righteousness of, of Christ by faith, that needs real life, eternal life? Now is the time, friends, to wake up and to pray and to fast together as God's church. Now, you might be watching us this morning, and you might not know Jesus Christ yet, and I think that this sermon will say something to you too, so please don't check out, because what we're talking about has very, ever, is everything to do with you. This Wednesday to Thursday, I'm asking all of God's people at Refuge Church, and if you're not part of our church, you can do this with us still. I'm asking all of God's people at Refuge Church um, and if you're a Christian anywhere that wants to participate, I'm asking you to pray and to fast with us together this Wednesday and Thursday. So basically what I'm asking is this. Wednesday night, I would like us to eat, you know, up until Wednesday night, eat like normal, eat your dinner on Wednesday night, and then from Wednesday night um, to Thursday night, go on a fast with us. Fast that night and all of Thursday, and what we'll do on Thursday night is we will have a time for corporate prayer through a, a video conferencing tool that will be sent out to you. Um, a link will be sent out to you to participate in that. So on Thursday night, which by the way, in the, in the, the church calendars, it's called Maundy Thursday. It's the day that, um, that the disciples um, broke bread with Jesus shortly before, the day before his crucifixion. Okay? The night it's called Maundy Thursday. So on Thursday night, we're going to have this, this time on a video conference to, to pray together to do communion together, um, and, to, and to cry out to our God together. And then after that video conference, you can hang up, and then you can enjoy um, dinner with yourself or with your family at home. We'll break the fast Thursday night after our time of prayer. And I'm going to send more information out for you this week as far as like the schedule of the day and what we hope to accomplish in that day. But for now, this morning, it's important for us as a church, if we're going to pray and fast together, to know why we're doing it, and to know how the Bible instructs us to do it. Um, because I know many of us might just have a very vague or very basic 
uh, concept of what this even means. And we also know from what we read in Scripture in Isaiah chapter 58 that there's a way that we can fast that has the reverse effect that's actually offensive to God. So we want to make sure that we approach God in prayer and fasting in a way that he'll hear us and that um, we can cry out to him in a way that honors him. So this morning I want to look at three things from our text and from other scriptures in the Bible as we consider the subject of fasting. Because essentially we're, I'm calling our church to pray and to fast this week. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw out three things from our text and from other scriptures. Why we fast, how to fast, and when to fast. So why, how, and when. Those three very simple things. And hopefully we can all follow along with these things. Why to fast, how to fast, and when to fast. The primary reason we fast, the, the big why, is to experience and to exchange intimacy with God. That is the first purpose, the first motivator, the big why of why we fast. It's not to get stuff. It's not primarily to get us out of a jam. It's not so that we can use God to manipulate a situation that we want to happen. It's first for his people to experience intimacy with him. And friend, that means something very important. If you are not in relationship with Christ, if you are not in relationship with Christ through the repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus, you do not have a friendship with God. You, are, you stand as God's enemy in hostile relationship with him because of sin. But he, de- he loves you and desires you to be in right relationship with him. And all that you need to do is come to him in repentance and faith and accept the gift that he gave you at the cross to remedy your greatest problem. And that is separation from him by sin. But the primary reason the Christian is to fast is to experience intimacy, intimacy with God. Now in our text, if you recall, we have the situation that involves Isaiah, who is an Old Testament prophet. <clears throat> now Isaiah is warning um, the children of Israel to repent and to turn to God. Now at this time in the, in the history of Israel, the kingdom was split into two nations, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. After the death of King David and then King Solomon, after they died, there was, there was a separation, a split between the northern and the southern kingdom. So in Israel, there were always two kings after Solomon. There was the king of the north and the king of the south. The northern kingdom of Israel was teetering on the brink of destruction to the Assyrians, and they would eventually fall in 722 B.C. to this massive Assyrian empire. Now, Isaiah, the prophet's job was to warn the southern kingdom not to follow in the footsteps of the north. Isaiah's job was to warn the kingdom that they would fall too, just like the north had fell, if they would not turn from their idols to trust, love, obey, and follow the Lord, who is alone Lord. Likewise, Judah, the southern kingdom, also called Judah, would fall if they would not repent, just like their northern brothers. But the problem Isaiah faced was that he was dealing with a highly religious people. These were devout people. These were not pagans. These were people who thought, who believed, that they were already right with God, that they were already good and in his favor. The text in Isaiah 45 says about them, they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. They delight to draw near to me in verse 2. 
they even humble themselves. In verse 3, they fast and desire to be in my presence. By the way, in Isaiah 45, you scan the entire Bible, you won't find a passage about fasting longer than this one. It is the longest passage on fasting in all of Scripture. In spite of their daily their daily attempt to know God in his ways, their delight to draw near to God, their what they claim to be humbling themselves, fasting and praying. In verse 3, we read these shocking words, the Lord took no knowledge of it. He looked the other way. So that the nation, the southern kingdom, would even be drawn to question God and say this, what was the use of all this fasting? When the, when the Lord takes no knowledge of it, when he will not listen. How is it possible to be so devout, so religious, and yet so far from God? The people who should be closest to him, the people that should love him most, are farthest from him. And don't we see Jesus saying the same thing in Matthew chapter 7? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast demons out? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Oh, they have good theology, don't they? They know doctrine well. They call Jesus Lord. Lord, Lord, they know his name. And they have passion. Lord, they say Lord twice. Lord, Lord, that's an emphasis for passion in Scripture. They're even doing ministry, casting out demons and the like. Prophesying in his name. Being good Christians. Yet he says, depart from me, I never knew you. They have a good theology, apparently. They have passion, and they're even doing ministry, yet they are far from God. And I can't help but think of what you've heard me talk about if you've listened to me tr preach long enough, the, the parable of the prodigal son, where the prodigal, the younger son, squanders all of his father's possession, leaves, and just is a very sensual person, blatantly sinful, doing all the bad stuff that, cr that Christians say not to do. Obviously a bad guy, right? But the older son, he stays at home with dad. He keeps his nose clean. He's obedient. Then one day the prodigal returns and dad is excited that the prodigal has repented so he throws him a party. He kills a fatted calf but the older son isn't at the party. He's mad at dad. And he says this to his father when his father comes looking for him. He says, I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command and you've never given me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Friends, this older brother is a picture of the kind of person in Matthew 7 and Isaiah 45 who is deeply religious but does not love God. They just love his stuff. They just want him to give them what they want. They use God through obedience to manipulate God, and God will not be manipulated. Oh, and these so often find themselves when God does indeed take something 
that they think they have earned, they end up hating the God that they have claimed to serve. Like Martin Luther, they obey to clear their own conscience, to pay for their own sin, to get God's stuff, and when it doesn't work, they end up hating him. Luther, fortunately for him, came to know that he couldn't make himself pay enough for his own sin because it was just too grand. He knew that someone needed to pay for it for him. And when he knew that, his fasting transformed from a meritorious effort to, to earn God's favor. It transformed from that to worship, to intimacy with God, an expression of love that God had given him something that he could never pay for. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And friend, if your religion doesn't inspire a love for God and for neighbor, it is not a religion that honors God. The religious man doesn't love their neighbor. Isaiah chapter 45 says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress your workers. But God says in reply, Is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free? God, in essence, is saying, You only fast for you. You don't fast to express a love for me or for your neighbor. You just do it for you. They appear to love God, but they only use prayer and fasting and the like to manipulate him to get what they want out of life. Oh, and how often we have found ourselves in this trap, especially if you are a religious person. We want the Father's things, but we don't want the Father. And friends, this is the secret of not just fasting, but prayer, our fellowship together when we approach God in the Word. This is the secret behind it all, the why behind our devotion. Not because we want His stuff, not because we're trying to clear the slate, but because we love Him. We love him for the immeasurable gift that he's given to us through his son Jesus Christ at the cross to demonstrate that we love him more than food and we love him more than television and we love him more than our friendships, our work, our jobs. We want him and love him more than these because in Psalm chapter 16, there is pleasure in his presence He's better, in other words. He's more satisfying. He's more fulfilling. He is our greatest love. So friends, as we fast as Christians, it's first meant to initiate a radical love expression towards the one who loves us in spite of us. It's almost like the reason we would dance with our wives. We're doing it, hopefully, because we just love them and we want them near us express love to him we're not doing it to manipulate God and how many people have tried to manipulate our wives through romantic gestures we're just trying to get them to um, let us go on some weekend trip that we want to go on so hey honey let's go on a date but we all we all know that we can use romantic gestures to simply get what we want and when we do that it's no longer ex an expression of love is it the, 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 those, those things that are meant to show our, our wives that we love them most, 
we're using them selfishly, it's the same thing. When we approach God in prayer and fasting and worship and fellowship and Bible reading, are we doing it simply because we love him or we're just trying to get something out of him? Oh, friends, we don't fast to manipulate God. We don't fast to earn his forgiveness. We already have it in Christ. If you've turned to him in repentant faith, we don't fast to appease a guilty conscience. We messed up three days ago, so let's just start suffering. We don't fast to, to claim that we're more godly than other people. We fast first because we love our God and we love our Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 9 makes this clear. Jesus says this, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn and fast while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Jesus is saying that we fast because there is this sense in which we desire to be with God. Today, actually, if you don't know this on the church calendar, is Palm Sunday. Not this kind of palm, <laughs> right? The, like a, a leaf. Palm Sunday is, is the, on the church calendar today. It's meant to remember Jesus' entrance on a donkey into Jerusalem when the people laid palm branches down as he entered in, and they rejoiced at the coming of the king. The king was present in Jerusalem, so they rejoiced. But after Jesus would be crucified and resurrected, he would ascend into heaven, and that's why he said in Matthew 9, when I ascend, when I'm gone, I'll be missed. And you, my disciples will express they're missing me through their fasting. You see, they're not fasting because they want a new house, right? Or they want a brand new car or a new job. Or even they want to be healed from a disease. They fast because they miss the one they love. So fasting primarily is for intimacy. The burning desire to be with the king. You see, friends, when we approach God, in any discipline, whether it be prayer, fasting, or, or the like? Is it our intimacy with God that motivates us? Or are we just trying to procure some favor from him? So why do we fast? We fast for inti intimacy. Number two, how do we fast? What is fasting, in other words? There is one author that speaks about this at length. His name is Donald Whitney. He's a modern scholar on the spiritual discipline, so he speaks about fasting at length. And he says that fasting is perhaps the most misunderstood of all the spiritual disciplines. Some think it's just to make us suffer, right, like Luther. And few of us ever really practice it, and I would have to regretfully announce myself included. And hopefully that can be remedied. But if Jesus did it, if he gave us instruction about how to do it, if the apostles did it, the prophets did it, if Israel did it, if the early church did it, why shouldn't we do it? As a matter of fact, Jesus said, when you fast, do it like this. The implication is that we will, that we will do it as God's people, that we'll fast. But what is it? What is a working definition that we can go off of? Well, Donald Whitney says that biblical fasting is the Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. So that's a good working definition. It's the Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. 
Now, there's another definition, another Bible scholar, Richard Foster, says it a little bit in more of a general way. He says this, it's the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. I'll repeat that. It's the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. That normal function in Scripture is normally food. But normal functions can also include things like sleep or recreation, like television watching or rest. And I think this is helpful to know because some of us with, with medical conditions might not be able to fast food. It might be very dangerous for you to do that. So you can do it in other ways by fasting sleep or television or rest or whatever it might be. Um, maybe, you, maybe, and this is an important thing for you to hear, maybe you have, a, have an eating disorder and you've struggled with that throughout your life. It might not be a good idea. This might tempt you to sin for you to fast your food. So it's helpful to know that there are other kinds of fasting that you can participate in and still have it be a way in which you can fast with God's people. Okay? In Scripture, there are different kinds of fast. There are different ways in which you can go about fasting. In Scripture, there's the normal fast. That is, you abstain from food for a length of time, but you can keep drinking water. That's, called, that's what scholars have called a normal fast. That We see that in Matthew chapter 4. There are other times where you can do what's called a partial fast. That is, you abstain from some kinds of food, but not all kinds of food. For example, for example in Daniel chapter 1, he's, he didn't eat things that what, what he called delicious, savory, tasty. So, some, so in our modern world, some people call that the Daniel fast. But a partial fast is you won't eat certain kinds of food. An absolute fast, so there's the normal, the partial, the a- an absolute fast is that you abstain from all food and water altogether. Obviously, you can't do that for as long. You can't survive without water past three days. But we see that in Ezra chapter 10. That's an absolute fast. Sometimes in Scripture, fasts are private. We're instructed in Matthew 6 that when we fast, don't let anyone know about it, right? It's a private, personal thing between you and God. But other times, there are fasts that we're told to do together. We see this in Joel in the Old Testament, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. We call this a, a corporate or a congregational fast, and that's what we're calling our church to do this week, a congregational or a corporate fast. The Bible doesn't command regular fasts. In other words, it doesn't say you need to fast every Friday. Like it says that we, meet, we need to meet and gather as God's people on the Lord's Day. The Bible doesn't tell us how often we should fast. The Bible says pray without ceasing. In other words, daily. The Bible doesn't give us instruction about how often we're to fast or when. It doesn't tell us when to do a normal fast versus a partial or absolute fast. It does tell us that when we fast privately, we're not to look gloomy. Okay, so one word in our modern vernacular that we could use is we can't be hangry, right? When we're fasting, the Bible instructs us to not wear a gloomy face because when you don't eat, you get grumpy. Isn't that true? The Bible tells us when you're doing it privately, don't wear it on your sleeve. Don't do it for the applause of men. Don't get hangry, right? Check yourself. How often and what kind of fast needs to be informed by God's spirit, um, his leading, and even sometimes situational of 
an event occurs that would motivate us to fast. So these are these friends, this is what fasting is. These are the kinds of fasts, and these are some instruction that the Bible gives us on how to fast. So why do we fast? How do we fast? And lastly, let's look at this. When do we fast? What I mean by when do we fast is that the, there are events in Scripture that trigger a person or a group to do a fast together or even privately. And these serve as a guide for us to know when we should fast. Because as I said before, the Bible doesn't tell us fast every Friday or like it says pray without ceasing. It doesn't tell us to, to fast on Sundays like it tells us to gather on Sundays. The Bible, however, does give us occasions in which people are fasting and this can serve us as instructive to when we should fast too. And what we can see is basically categories in scripture. There are five categories of when to fast. What we see as occasions of fasting in scripture. And the first occasion or the the when to fast um, is when we want to when we want to strengthen our prayer. This is sort of related to intimacy that we we mentioned before. We see prayer always connected to fasting. Fasting is never disconnected from prayer. So let me give you some scripture text. Ezra chapter 8, verse 23. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Acts chapter 13, verse 3. I know I'm saying these fast. So if you're taking notes, you might need to rewind this later and pick up on those later. But all of these passages of Scripture, all of them couple fasting with prayer. If there's, any, if, if there's one thing that we learn about fasting from Scripture, that it is, it's always accompanied with periods of intense, concentrated prayer. In other words, biblical fasting cannot exist without prayer. We cannot fast without praying. It's not simply a day without food. Now, friends, I've fasted before, and in my mind, I, I've thought I'm going to do this as a spiritual discipline, for, uh, for God, um, as an expression of love for God, but it didn't change anything about the way that I prayed on that day. Nothing changed. I just didn't eat. But, uh, friends, biblical fasting is not simply a day without food and leaving our prayer life unchanged. Fasting is meant to move us to prayer with a greater intensity, otherwise it's not biblical fasting. That's why in Scripture, when there's some dire situation, people prayed and fasted. It's not one without the other. Fasting should always foster desperation in our prayer. And we, so we would be wise to fast if we desire to strengthen our prayer life. If, you're want, if you want your prayer life to deepen and widen and to be strengthened, you would be wise to consider fasting from time to time to, in, to bulk up your prayer life. Number two, the second occasion that we see for fasting in Scripture, very simply, is to seek God's help. Something about our lives or something about the church or something around us is in trouble, and we need God who, who's who alone can help us in any situation, we're seeking God's help. Now, there are various ways that we seek God's help in Scripture. The first way that we seek God's help is through His guidance. We want God to guide us so that we can honor Him with our lives. We want to know 
his will. Should I go left or right? Choose A or choose B? Often in scripture, we see characters fasting to seek God's help in determining direction for their lives. So Paul and Barnabas, for example, before they appointed elders, they would pray and fast for God's wisdom in his direction. We see that in Acts chapter 14. The tribes of Israel in Judges chapter 20, they would receive God's direction in battle upon prayer and fasting. So when they would seek God's direction, they would, especially when an, with, with an issue of great importance, they would pray and fast. So friends, it would be wise for us as we seek God's help in guiding us, perhaps when we're thinking about making a big move, moving, changing jobs, marrying somebody, to take it to God, to discern his will, to pray and to fast. But we don't just need God's help with guidance. Sometimes we're in big trouble. We see this in Esther chapter 4. You remember the story of Esther's life. She says, hold a fast on my behalf. She's married to the king, by the way, of Persia. She says, hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, or I will go to the king. Uh, Excuse me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, because I am going to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. The people of Israel were about to be murdered by Haman, and Esther, being being a Jew who was married to the king, was in a position to do something about it. They were in an impossible situation, so they needed the God of the impossible to supernaturally intervene. So they pray and fast together as a nation. Friends, it's wise to pray and fast in times of great trouble. That's another way that we seek God's help. But don't we, don't we need his help in advancing God's work? And these are often just interrelated as well, by the way. Daniel prayed and fast for the exiled Jews to return to Jerusalem in Daniel chapter 9. How about Nehemiah in chapter 1? Prayed and fast because Jerusalem laid in destructions and destruction and the wall was down. So friends, when we're thinking about advancing the kingdom of God in a significant way for his glory to pray and to fast for his help. But how about also when we need his help to care for the needs of those around us? That's what we see in Isaiah chapter 58. Fasting for the purpose of serving other people in need. God is concerned about how our disciplines and our devotion to him actually translate to a compassion for those suffering around us, to serve them in their need. So friends, we're wise to fast when other people around us are in trouble and in, our, in, in, in distress, and when we can do something about them to reveal the love and kingdom purpose of God in their lives for them. But oh, don't we also need God's help in overcoming temptation? Some of us have agonizing, antagonizing, lingering sin that we just can't seem to shake. And no doubt this will be helped through prayer and fasting as we're near our God. You know that Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights as he was tempted by Satan himself directly? So we're wise to fast when we need God's help to overcome temptation. You got a business trip you're going on soon alone without your wife? Maybe you need to pray and fast before it. Maybe you need to invite some brothers in Christ 
to pray and fast for you so that you're not tempted to sin. So the when to fast, the occasions to fast, that's what we're on. We've talked about why, what, and when, right? Or is that it? Why, what, and how, right? The how the, or the when to fast or occasions to fast are to strengthen prayer. We just went over those five categories of seeking God's help. But also, when do we fast? To express grief. We fast when we're expressing grief. In Judges chapter 20, they fasted and prayed to express grief for the 40,000 brothers they lost in combat. They were grieving. Something grievous happened. So they cried out to God in fasting and in prayer. And in Samuel chapter 1, 2 Samuel chapter 1, David mourned and fasted when he heard that King Saul had died. It's an expression of mourning or grief. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, I'll remind you, we've, we mentioned this in the beginning. When the sun ascends, Jesus was with the 12 disciples everywhere they went. And he said, when I leave, then they'll fast. They'll miss him. They'll grieve his absence. It expresses grief to God for the depth of our feelings. So maybe, friends, you've lost a child or a husband. And there are different ways that we can lose people in our lives, sometimes to divorce, sometimes to death, sometimes to conflict, and we're grieving. Maybe it's, maybe it's time to pray and fast and take our, our grief to our gentle God who will hear us and heal us. So we fast, the third occasion, we fast to express grief. Finally, and I think most importantly, we fast to worship God. This is really related, I think, to the why that we started with. We're on the when we fast, the, but at the very beginning, the why, which was intimacy with God. This, this is, I really think, related to that. We fast to worship God, right? To strengthen prayer, to seek his help, to express grief, and to worship God. Fasting should be a humbling experience. We kneel when we pray often as a sort of symbol that we need God's help and that he's our superior. He is our king and creator. So we, we kneel when we pray. We lift our hands and worship for the same reason. It's a, it's a physical posture that represents what is our servitude, our humility before God. In other words, it's worship. It's ascribing God's great worth over us. David in Psalm chapter 35 humbled himself with fasting. It reminded him that he was but dust and that he needed God for the very breath in his lungs. You know that fasting in and of itself doesn't make you humble. We know that the Pharisee fasted in Luke 18 and Isaiah 45 all over the place. You can do it arrogantly. Humility is a condition of the heart. And fasting should express that humility, but it doesn't do that necessarily. But ultimately, it is to express worship to our God. Anna, in Luke chapter 2, worshiped God day and night through prayer and fasting. So fasting should be an expression of finding your greatest enjoyment in life in God. Not in food, not in entertainment, 
not in sleep or anything else. It's a dependence on God that without him, there would be no sleep. There would be no food. There would be no entertainment. There would be no mind that we would have to enjoy or participate in any of these things. That God is the great sustainer of life. He is our all in all. He is everything that we need. He is the breath in our lungs. We tell him when we do these things that before we need any of these things, we need him and we need him more. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And when we fast, it, is, it should remind us that there is a greater bread that we need for our life. For real life, for deep soul satisfaction, we need a proximity to our God, our creator, through the mediator, the, the bridge, Jesus Christ. You see, friends, that's what this is meant to inspire, an intimacy and worship for our God who provides all our needs and gives us all of our help. So yes, we fast in times of trouble and in times of grief, in times when we need God's direction and, and help, but ultimately, we are desperate for the Father's care and affection for Him. And, and we know, too, that our heart is right, that when we go to God in prayer for help over a certain issue, that if He doesn't respond, the way that we want, we still rejoice because we have him. And that's what's most important. Friends, let me close with a few words and then I'll be done. When the heart truly worships like this, something miraculous happens to us. In Isaiah 58, our light breaks forth like the dawn and our healing springs up speedily. Friends, our country does not need to be healed from a virus. It, need to be, it needs to be healed from its separation from God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And if this virus can do that for even one person, there will be rejoicing in heaven. So can I encourage you this week if you're a believer and you're hearing me, to pray and to fast with us together. I hope that you will. We need to finally display, as God's people, our greatest need for him, for his affection and for his love and for his presence, not for his money, not for his health, not for bigger buildings, not for more chairs and clean rugs, we need his presence. We need him, his love, affection. We want it more than bread. And we want our neighbors around us to be fed with the bread of life too that don't know him yet. So we grieve the loss together this, this week. We'll grieve the loss of many thousands over this world. We're going to request God's help as we build our proverbial wall like Nehemiah to spread his kingdom, to, to grieve over our sin and apathy and laziness and lovelessness as Christians. And we're fasting because we're, we're desperate for God ourselves and desperate for God for the world that, that he loves around us. I hope that you'll be on the lookout this week for more information as we gather together this week to pray and to fast together and that you'll participate with us. So would you close with me now in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you
this morning for what you've done for us. Oh God, if there are people listening that don't know you, I pray that they would realize that they don't need bread. They need the bread of life. If you don't know Jesus, he is your life. He died for your sins. Turn to him in repentant faith. The God of all creation became a man to save you from your sins so that you could have eternal life and heal your soul, to make you right with him. Cry out to him now, Father, save me. I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And oh God, for the rest of us, I pray that you would concentrate our minds this week and our spirits, our hearts, to cry out to our Lord for your, for your presence, affection, and help. God, bless us now as we close with one song, how we love you in Jesus' name, amen.